Our second keynote speaker is Shengen Fan, Director General of IFPRI. He's very well known to all of us here, and he will share some of his perspectives on what's happening in Asia and beyond. Shengen, yep. thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Let me welcome you, welcome you to the new building, new seminar room, and a new topic, transforming agriculture. And I wanted to thank Dr. Mauricio Lopez. We shared so many platforms in Beijing, in Brazil, in Berlin. Every time I learned from him, from his presentation. So what I'm going to do here is uh, to share with you some of my experience from Asia. I used to present something either at global level on China, but this time I wanted to, uh, to make sure that you know, Asia is the topic I'm going to zoom in. Yes, we are facing some challenges in Asia. We need a Brazil. We need the U.S. to feed ourselves. And uh, I think innovation is also key, in addition to make sure that trade marketing works for us, I think innovation in our food system will be also critical. And partnership, partnership with, you know, with uh, some of the top national agriculture research institute, like Improper, CAS, ICA, is part of our, our agenda. Just to let you know that Asian is growing pretty fast, on average, they are growing at more than 5% per year. And some of the emerging economies like India and China, 6%, 7% per year. What does that mean? That means it needs more and a better food. And the middle class, middle, class, middle class population in Asia is rising. Today, probably the majority of the middle class population is here in the US, in Europe, uh, Asia, maybe one third. But by 2030, two-thirds of the middle-class population will be in Asia. China now will have probably 800 million middle-class population. India probably at least 500, 500 million by 2030. Again, that means it needs more and a better food. And how can we feed ourselves, Asia in particular? In the meantime, we're facing multi-burden of so-called malnutrition, multi-burden of malnutrition, yes. Asia still accounts for the largest percentage of hungry people in the world. So even right now, more than 500 million people are hungry. So this is sort of a calorie deficient. People simply do not have enough to eat. So 500 million. Yes, we have made a progress, particularly in East Asia, in Southeast Asia. But in South Asia, look at that number in terms of absolute hungry people. They only decrease very little, from 290 to 280. So it's only 10 million people reduction uh, from, 99, from 1990 to today. Huge task. Now the second burden is called hidden hunger, macro micronutrients, vitamin A, zinc, and uh, um, iron, and beyond. Again, look at uh, the regional differentiation, South Asia. 42% of the population today are still vitamin A deficient. How do we tell you how damaging are the deficiency will be on you, on your body, particularly, uh, particularly children and women? Yeah. And many girls, rural girls in India, South India, are living in some villages, 80%. Then another irony is overweight obesity. So in, my, in our own region in Asia, the overweight obesity is increasing. Look at the chart on the, um, the right-hand bottom there. In 2000, only 14% of the children is, let's say, overweight. 
today is 20%, 40% increase in the last 15 years. And if I walk in Shanghai, Beijing, uh, you will see a lots of pretty heavy, overweight children, at least one third. I mean, they already lost, well, before they even born, so not just in the starting line. Now, Marisha already mentioned about the environmental stress. I'm so glad that Brazil has really transformed its agriculture sector to address some of the environmental concerns. Yes, indeed, we are facing some challenges. If, no, if you look at the, 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 the planetary boundaries, biodiversity, <coughs> overuse of phosphorus and the nitrogen. And all the three have already crossed the boundary. So they are in a very dangerous zone. And all the three actually are related to agriculture, but genetic diversity, and push of rice, wheat, and maize to major food production area, and the overuse of fertilizer nitrogen. And agriculture, agriculture can contribute to 20 to 30 percent of the greenhouse gas emission. And right now, business as usual by 2050, the, the whole agriculture sector food system will emit probably 20 gigaton of carbon per year. And if we wanted to maintain our global warming below two degrees, the allowance is probably 10 to probably 10 gigaton. So even just agriculture alone will already push our, let's say, <coughs> uh, the global temperature more than two degrees warmer. But there are opportunities, just like what uh, um, Dr. Noop has, has pre uh, presented. Narrowing the, the, um, the yield gap and uh, to um, reduce food waste, food loss, and promote health, promote healthy diet. That will reduce the total carbon emission <coughs> more than five to ten per year. So agriculture sector is part of the challenge, it's part of the problem. But if we can use innovations, innovation in technology, innovation in policy and institutions, I think we can maintain, we can control the total carbon emission definitely below <coughs> ten gigaton or even five gigaton. Now, technological innovation will be very critical. The, uh, for example, some of the yield-enhancing technologies still great potential to narrow that yield gap. The uh, remote sensing, precision agriculture, and some of the varieties. I think today the CGIR newer varieties should have multiple wins. Wins on saving water, saving land, saving energy, and the nutrition to promote nutrition and health. So C4 rice is one rice that can do a lots of wins but they still needed to add nutrition into rice, whether it's iron or zinc or vitamin A. ICT obviously clearly uh, a game changer. It's outside of agriculture. Sometimes it is technologies or best practices outside of agriculture that will change agriculture fundamentally. So ICT on the G20 China initiative to promote e-commerce. And uh, um, then policy innovation is equally important. You know, technology is critical, but policy is yeah. equally important. So for example, uh, how can we really eliminate the current $500 billion subsidies? Water, <coughs> fertilizers, and energy, and these subsidies just produce several major food crops, and they contribute to the generation <coughs> of our, our natural resources, water, land, the underground water is being depleted, and they also contributed to more carbon emission. So they are not environmentally sustainable. In the meantime, they produce large 
stable crop, so called big fives, big five. Rice, wheat, maize, potato, maybe cassava, five. So what, what is the policy option? Can we convert some of these subsidies <coughs> to support more nutritious food production? Whether it's biofortification, whether it introduce uh, more diverse crop production, so diverse diet, and to tackle some of the environmental challenges. So $500 billion, it's a big money. How can we reform that? And in institutional innovation is a equally important gender. You know, during the Green Revolution era, we never paid attention to the woman to gender. You know, I remember uh, because of the Green Revolution, so we could produce three crops a year, like in Brazil, you know, you, you can have multiple crops per year. But who is doing the work? It's women. So instead of eight hours per day, they would work 10, 12, or even 13 hours a day. So they don't have time to take care of, take care of their children. They don't have time to cook more nutritious, healthy food. So today we needed to have institutional innovation to empower this woman and to make sure that they have access to assets like land, water, access to financial services, access to political voice. I think the political voice probably is one of the most critical ones. They can really empower themselves. Then value chains. How can we use ICT link millions and millions of smallholders with rising middle income population, as I described. We have seen some successes in China, in India. Now, not just young people begin to set up a platform, internet platform, to link producers and consumers, whether it's organic, healthy, nutritious food, use a camera, web camera, so at home you can see how your food is produced, what inputs have been used, how the food is transported to your doorstep. And mutual learning. I think this is um, Ifri's job. How can we use our data, analysis, evidence generated from our research to work with the countries to share across different countries? On the nutrition side, we have an initiative called Compact 2025. Towards the end of this year, end of November, so we are, pro we are proposing to have a global gathering to make sure that some of the best practices technologies, policies, could be shared among different countries, Africa and Asia. We also have some platforms like RACEX, Asia, Africa, and regional strategic analysis information system to share the data, share the best practices, share the research results across different countries to make sure that decision makers are empowered with, with evidence uh, supported by research. So I'm very excited to, uh, to work with um, Prapa and the U.S. government, I think Asia depends on other regions to feed themselves. So my final message is we must make sure that the global trade system remain open, transparent, so we can share what we have and share all what, what we don't have. And this is a critical at this moment right now. Okay, thank you.